Please be advised that the content in the Grave Tales podcast series is suitable for adults only. You're with Chris Adams and Helen Goltz for the Grave Tales series podcast. Today from the Grave Tales Melbourne Volume 1 book, Girl Talk, the story of Alice Anderson. She was one of Australia's first female mechanics and her ideas and invention were ahead of her time. But what happened to Alice Anderson that brought her life to an untimely end in 1926? Today we discuss Alice's life and talk with Loretta Smith, author of A Spanner in the Works, the extraordinary story of Alice Anderson and Australia's first all-girl garage. And stay tuned at the end for our feature grave. Chris, the night that Alice died, in September 1926, it started like any other day in business. So she was a female mechanic. Mm-hmm. She had an all-female employed garage yep. in Cotham Road, Q. Alice was a bit of a tomboy. She'd been to the Church of England Girls Grammar School. She had an engineering father and a very progressive mother. And she was raised in the bush in Narbathong in the Yarra Valley. That's 90 kilometres or 56 miles outside Melbourne. She learned to ride, hunt, fish, drive, repair cars or motor coaches, as they were called, at the local cooperative bus service. So it's fair to say Alice liked to work with her hands and this garage was her dream. And it was the end of the working week and she closed up and Alice, 29, had a dinner engagement that night. But while the ladies were finishing up out the front of the garage, she went to the back of the garage and she had a couple of guns she had to clean, one of them to return to a friend. And she'd gone to just clean these couple of guns when a bullet from one of the guns that she didn't realise was in the chamber hit her forehead and killed her. Well, that was the finding of the inquest, wasn't it? That's correct. So whether it was an accident, whether it was suicide or whether somebody was there, has all been speculated. So picture Alice, 29-year-old, tinkering away on engines, ambitious, wearing her overalls or the wonderful uniform she created for the garage girls. And you can get a bit of a picture of how ahead of her time she was. The lady who knows her better than probably anyone in Australia is Loretta Smith. And Loretta joins us now. Is it fair to say you've developed a bit of a relationship with Alice? You must feel like you know her fairly well by now. I say to people she's the most fascinating woman I've never met. Spent the best part of 10 years being with her, if you like, researching her and digging through all sorts of archives and speaking to relatives of garage girls as well. I felt like I got to know Alice as a friend, more or less. Loretta, what do you reckon was the motivation for her to want to have a garage? She was born when cars were introduced to the world and so she saw them growing up and Mm. the idea of being able to move in a car and the idea of um, female independence that went along with that I think was just very attractive to her. She was very ambitious. Her father was an engineer and she absolutely admired her father. She loved the idea of mechanics. She'd worked in her father's Blackspur Motor Service as the secretary, but she spent more time next door dealing with the drivers and the mechanics and wanting to know the ins and outs of it all. And because she wasn't able to get a full education because of the limits that her family had financially, I think she saw a future in it. Where do you reckon she got the money from? Because banks in those days weren't generally keen on lending money to women. Well, they didn't, not up until the 1980s, believe it or not. They did not let women individually borrow money. They had to be underwritten by a male. Alice didn't marry and her father agreed to underwrite her, but the banks 
rightfully saw him as not a good bet in that respect. He always was in trouble with money. She did end up getting a bank loan and she refused to tell her family or anybody else who actually underwrit her. She had a very feminist view of the world. Her mother was influential in that respect. You think that's why she hired mostly women? I think she was very much wanting to support women and women were being encouraged to drive cars, but they weren't being encouraged to know what was under the bonnet. Very early in the piece, when she first started her driving service, she said in 1918 that she was only going to employ women. She was happy to have male clients but it was a very brave decision it could have gone either way for her because it was leading into the 1920s and the flapper girl was around and women for the first time in 500 years were cutting their hair short into you know bobs alice and some of her garage girls had what they called the eaton cut which is very much a male style cut there was more freedom for women i think she just rode on the back of that Which is radical because the 1920s, I would have thought even just getting an education for a woman was quite progressive. But with her business, she had some really progressive, what we call marketing ideas these days, didn't she? Oh, she was an absolute entrepreneur. She was very charming and she knew how to bring the public along with her. She introduced the idea of a regular all-over car service, which we still have today. And she knew she had to work hard to outdo the men or even match the men. And so the garage girl she did employ, no matter what their background, they went through an apprenticeship with her. She had very high standards. She made sure they dressed beautifully. They all had a uniform and they were very polite when they were driving their clients around, as well as working at the garage. There was a lot of fun in the garage. All the cars that Alice owned, and she acquired a few over the years, and she stored them all in her garage. In fact, her garage was so large, she could house up to 22 cars. Wow. A lot of wealthy people had their very expensive cars, you know, Rolls wow. Royces and old Stanley steamers and things like that would be looked after by the garage girls. The youngest apprentices would have to keep those cars clean and polished at all times. The owner would ring up and at any notice and say, we want the chauffeur to come and pick us up and take us for a drive in our car. And some of them, you know, they might have been overseas for two years and then they'd just come back and say, you know, we go on a picnic. Some of the things she came up with, like the touring trips and the chauffeur service and allowing customers to watch and learn as the cars were being repaired, they're quite inventive. But the other one is, of course, the invention of the get out and get under. Yes, that's what she was most famous for. And she called it the get out and get under because there was actually a song around the time that was rather risque that was about a man wanting to make love to his sweetheart and every time he went to kiss her, the car would break down and he'd have to get out and get under the car. And she had women in mind. It was a wooden trolley on wheels with a little leather headrest, but it actually folded in half so you could put it in the back of the car. Ah. And, of course, she was very much of the opinion that women if they were driving and if they were to drive independently they needed to be able to fix their car on the road because in those days there weren't garages all about the place Mm. and it didn't take long before you were out into the country if you were driving from any major city even in Australia at the time. She used to use it in the garage as well to roll under the cars and, and now we know it as the creeper and she had a patent for it for Australia, but she couldn't afford to make it worldwide. And so an American businessman came into the garage and saw this thing 
and walked out again and took it back to America and set it up as the creeper and became very wealthy. It's very sad to think that Alice actually started that and she could have been a very wealthy woman. Some of the touring trips she did, you'd be probably fairly scared to do in a modern car today. The one in the baby Austin to Central Australia and back, a remarkable trip for the age. Yes, it was. So her idea of a holiday was to buy a baby Austin And in those days, you basically bought the chassis and the engine and you'd import those and someone locally would build the body more often than not, the the Holden company. But she made the body herself and she decided that she'd not put any doors on it because there was such little space in the, the baby Austin. It was tiny. It was about half the weight of a Model T Ford. And she chose the baby Austin because she could get sponsorship as the smallest vehicle to come off a production line to actually travel that distance over such intrepid country because there were virtually no made roads into central Australia. In fact, she was recorded as saying that she'd only heard of 11 cars so far, and this was in 1926, to take any sort of a trip into the centre of Australia. Now, moving to Alice's untimely death, there was... A bit of hearsay about it, wasn't it? There were some thoughts that maybe she'd taken her own life or maybe she was murdered or maybe it was just an accident when the gun went off. What do you think, Lorena? Well, I was following the inquest document and it was very clear there were a lot of anomalies in there and it was clear that at least one person lied at the inquest mm. because there were actually two garage girls in the garage at the time that occurred and they were supposedly at the front of the garage and the quote-unquote accident occurred at the back of the garage. The inquest did say that they thought it was accidental. There were rumours up until very recently that she suicided because she was in debt to the garage. And, look, she had some running debt, but it wasn't that bad. And she wasn't that sort of personality. I know people often say if someone has suicided that they know that they never had an indication that that was going to occur. But I think... Alice was responsible enough that she wouldn't have done it in the presence of her garage girls. And she was also running late to go to dinner with someone. She'd only been back from her trip to Alice Springs and back less than a week before this. And the injury that occurred was actually sort of on the side of her head from her forehead. So it was a fatal head injury. But if you're going to suicide, you're not going to hit yourself in the forehead. Mm. So it's a suggestion that the revolver was one of the guns she was cleaning that could yes. be fired without the magazine in it and one bullet in the breech that you wouldn't know about went off and it had a hair trigger, went off accidentally? Yes. So what happened to Alice's garage after she died, Lorena? It kept going for quite some time. A woman called Ethel Beige, who was a wealthy woman, very much a car enthusiast, and she would um, sometimes help Alice out with the bookkeeping side of things. Ethel Beige felt that it was the honourable thing for Alice's memory to keep the garage going. It kept offering the same services that Alice did, but by the time World War II came along, the women that worked at the garage had gone off to help with the war effort and Ethel Beige got sick and I think she died around 1942. The woman that had been the secretary at the garage almost since inception 
she went on to become owner. She went in with an engineer, a male. It ended up moving away from the garage that Alice had designed and built herself in Cotham Road Q. And they moved around the corner because they downsized. Bib Stillwell Motor Cars took over that space and they started out using Alice's garage, but they ended up knocking it down. What a great well, shame. Uh, absolutely. And in name only, up until the 1980s, there was the Alice Anderson Driving School. Wow. Uh, still going around that queue, Hawthorne, eastern suburbs area. There's this real echo of a memory of Alice in How that wonderful. area. At the National Motor Museum in South Australia, I worked with the curators there to set up a semi-permanent exhibition. It's the only exhibition that's devoted to women at the National Motor Museum. It's still open. They did a recreation of the facade of the garage Mm. Alice had. So if our listeners want to have a look at Alice and her girls, if they go to your Facebook page, which is Alice Anderson Garage Girl, all one word. And what's your webpage, Loretta? LorettaSmith.com.au. And you've got photos there too. I've got photos, interviews, articles, reviews. And we've got some lovely pics too in our chapter. Thanks very much to you, Loretta. So thank you for your time today. I think it's safe to say that no one knows Alice like you know Alice. Well, I have been told I'm the world expert. Now, if you're in Melbourne and would like to pay your respect to Alice, you'll find her grave in Burundara General Cemetery. It's a huge cemetery and a beautiful-looking cemetery. Great help at the desk too. And Alice's grave is in Presbyterian B, 4059A. It's not too hard to find and it's large. It is. It's a stepped monument on top of the grave. It's reasonably easy to find. Yeah. And Mother Ellen's also buried in there, but Alice died first. Grave Tales feature grave. While we're in Victoria, let's stay in Victoria okay. uh, and head off down the Great Ocean Road for oh, the feature grave of the day. I have to say, this is one of my favourite books, Great Ocean Road book. It's a good book. Yeah. And to the Port Ferry Cemetery, which is where this volume ends and runs from Geelong to Port Ferry. And in there, as you walk into the cemetery, just on the left-hand side is the grave of Dick. And on it, it simply says, here lies Dick, bushranger. Died February 12, 1859, shot by police. And then someone's written underneath it, did he deserve this? Oh, and did he? Well, we kind of argue the case in the book as to whether he did deserve it or not. He was not always a law-abiding chappy, now, Dick. No, but um, I think Dick brought this on himself a little bit too. Got caught up with another bloke and they were uh, involved in some nasty business yeah. and uh, that led them to Port Ferry where the police knew they were coming and they were waiting for him. Yeah. And when Dick didn't do what the police wanted him to do, they shot him. So Dick didn't do? Dick, Dick didn't do and mm. Dick got shot. So Graham Kennedy and Ugly Dave Grey, Jane. Oh, okay. Remember? No, oh. I don't think I want to. So, did he deserve it? It's a marvellous grave and it's a great story and ending up being back in Port Ferry and shot. Yeah, and a really quirky grave. It is. Grave of the week. Grave of the day. Grave of this episode. (laughs) If you enjoyed today's episode of Grave Tales, please rate, review and subscribe by pressing the follow us button. You've been listening to a story from Grave Tales, the series, available on paperback, ebook, and select titles on audiobook. Music by Kai Engels. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram or on our website. Check out our YouTube channel as well or get your group together and come along with us on our Great Ocean Road Tour.